Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. So we've been asking the question over the last few weeks, what happens when we die? And when we do die, um, what is heaven? What is it going to be like? What will our experience in heaven be like? And we've been walking through over the last few weeks um, this whole journey, and we've walked through the discussion of what does happen the moment we die. Where do we go? And, And we've talked about the reality that that heaven is not our default destination. It's not the default destination of the world. The Bible says that we were all born into sin and that without a relationship with Jesus, there's no way for us to make it into heaven. And so we discuss this idea that the moment we die, we enter into eternity. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. The moment we die, we enter into the presence of Jesus. And what he says to us will be one of two things. Welcome into my home, or I never knew you. And that is based on one simple fact. Have you given your life and submitted your life to Jesus? That's it. There is nothing that we can do to earn the reward of heaven. There's nothing that we can do to be spiritual enough or good enough to get into heaven. It is based on one criteria and one alone, and that is, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Have you acknowledged your own sin? Have you acknowledged your need for him and invited him to come and live in you? And so when we die, we're going to go to one of two places, and that is going to be an immediate transition from this life to the next. And we talked about what the present heaven is like, and and then we have this understanding and this false understanding that somehow um, the present heaven is going to be the heaven that we are in for eternity, and it's not true. The present heaven is a place where, where God's holy city is and where God's temple is and where we go when we know Jesus when we die. But that's not the end of the story. And we've talked about uh, over the last few weeks some of the things that we know and can learn and understand about what even happens in heaven now. That there's nothing in the Bible that says that we become disembodied spirits just floating around in this ethereal abyss of nothingness that that even now when when we pass away and when our loved ones pass away who know Jesus that we enter into the presence of Jesus and that as we do that that God gives us some form we don't know exactly what but some form of our new bodies and when we talk about the present heaven we we've been talking about this reality that that when we go to heaven, God doesn't erase everything about our life. He doesn't start over totally. He doesn't just eradicate everything we've thought or experienced or gone through. That that the continuity of our life here on earth into eternity is an essential part of our Christian faith. 
And then we talked about the new earth, and that's going to be our home for eternity with God. And the reality that we're not going up to heaven, but heaven is coming down to us. Emmanuel, God with us. And so we have this preconceived idea that, that, that heaven is some place up in the clouds somewhere that we, we can't know or understand or is unfamiliar. And that idea creates fear and tension in us because we don't want to go someplace that's unfamiliar. We don't want to spend eternity in an unknown, strange land with strange people. We don't want to become someone different. And so the Bible says in, in Revelation 13 that, that, that Satan, in, in that, those verses, he's called the dragon, does three things, that he lies to us about who God is, he lies to us about who we are, and he lies to us about what God has in store for us in heaven. And as I've been studying and reading and just processing, I mean, it's such a ginormous subject, but as I've been studying and reading and processing, my, my hope for what is coming ahead has been growing. My faith has been growing as I uncover and explore what God has created for us for eternity. It's giving me strength and hope and faith to face the challenges that I face. And, and the, I, I really believe that the, the devil wants to trick us into believing that somehow heaven is going to be less than earth now. We have this idea of heaven that somehow it's not going to be as exciting and it's not going to be as viscerally beautiful. And we look at the beautiful places we've been on this earth and the amazing things we've seen and, and somehow our heart sinks and we go, oh, we're, we're not going to see this again. I was driving by the falls this morning as I do every Sunday morning. And just thinking, God, one day... You're going to recreate this earth. And I don't know what Niagara Falls might look like, but it's not true that it, it could even possibly be less than it is now, less majestic, less beautiful. I don't know. But we've bought into this lie that somehow what's waiting for us on the other side of this life we're living is somehow pedantic and boring and less than. When, in fact, God has said that the best is yet to come. That the best things are in store for us ahead. And so today, as we kind of process through this, I want to try and focus on a couple of things. I'm going to start in the Old Testament. If you want to turn to the book of Isaiah with me chapter 65, Isaiah is speaking prophetically about what is going to happen on this new earth. And it gives us a bit of a clue, not only as to what the new earth might look like, but also some of the things that we might do on that new earth. So verse 17 says this, look, I'm creating a new heavens and a new earth, and no one will even think about the old ones anymore. Be glad, rejoice forever in my creation. And look, I will create Jerusalem as a place of happiness. Her people will be a source of joy. 
I will rejoice over Jerusalem and delight in my people, and the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will, will adults die before they have lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at 100. <laughs> only the cur I'm not even going to say anything about that. Okay, only the cursed... You know what, let me digress for just a second, because like I told you, I just turned 40 a couple months ago. I had my eyes tested like it was time for me to renew my prescription, and I was sitting in there, and there was a young, new optometrist there. I'd never met him, and I'm sitting there, and he's asking me about my eyes, and I said, you know, like, I'm having trouble sometimes when I'm looking at something far away and then when I go to look at something like read my Bible, for instance, up close, like it takes my eyes a while to adjust, like what's going on? And he just looked at me, he opened my chart, he looked at it and he said, you're 40. I'm not kidding. He said, you're 40. I said, well, what can I do about it? Like this is really bothering me. There's got to be some kind of like exercise or treatment I can do. And he said, no, sir it actually will get worse. And this is just what happens as you get old. And I was just looking at him like, you, I was 26 once. I remember what it was like. So now when I'm reading and it takes me like, oh, I, yeah, I refuse to get bifocals at this point in my life, just on principle. But imagine a day when our bodies are renewed and operate at their full capacity. In those days, verse 21, people will live in the houses they build, take note of that, and eat the fruit of their own vineyards. Unlike the past, invaders will not take their houses and confiscate their vineyards, for my people will live as long as trees, and my chosen ones will have time to enjoy their hard-won gains. They will not work take note of that, in vain, and their children will not be doomed to misfortune, for they are people blessed by the Lord, and their children too will be blessed. I will answer them before they even call to me. While they are still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat hay like a cow, but the snakes will eat dust. They still get the short end of the stick. In those days, no one will be hurt or destroyed on my holy mountain. I, the Lord, have spoken. So Jesus is giving Isaiah a prophetic glimpse of what is going to happen on this recreated earth. And so if the earth is made new and there's continuity with us, that you and I will be ourselves for eternity, and we've talked about the necessity of a physical bodily resurrection, that on this new earth we will have flesh and bones. And, and we've seen that the example for that was Jesus himself. After he rose from the dead, people think that he rose from the dead and then like 20 minutes later he just went up to heaven. No, he actually stayed on the earth for 40 days and connected with his disciples over and over and over again and made a point over that 40 days to demonstrate his humanity still. So he's died and gone to heaven, come back, and he says to Thomas, look at the scars 
in my hands and in my feet. Touch me and feel me. I'm not a ghost. And then he says to his disciples at another occasion, I'm hungry. Let's have something to eat. And he eats with them. And the food just doesn't fall through onto the floor like there's nothing there. It's like, no, he eats. Why? Because he's human. He says, I have flesh and bones. Touch me. And the Bible says that Jesus is the first fruit, like the very first archetype of what we will be like. We even saw in the transfiguration and other stories across the Bible when, when Jesus was meeting with Elijah and Moses in the transfiguration, they came in bodily form to meet with him. And so it's essential on this new earth that we not buy into this idea that we're just going to be floating around aimlessly. You are going to be you in all of your glory, and I'm going to be me, and we're going to walk this earth. Heaven will come down to be with us. Just think about that for just a minute. That the God of the universe who created everything we see, everything we can't see, everything we know, everything we don't yet know, that the God of the universe would choose not to change us into something else to be like him, but would choose to take on flesh and come down to be like us so that he can be with us in relationship. So heaven isn't this out there, up there, over there, who knows where place. It's the earth. And the majesty and glory and power of God embodied in Jesus Christ will walk this earth on stones and dirt the same way you and I do today. So the big question is what will our bodies be like? I have a certain picture in my own head of what I hope my body is like. Doesn't look exactly the way it does now, but uh, philosophers and theologians for centuries have spilt lots of ink writing about what they believe our bodies might be like. And, and the Bible doesn't get into specifics about what we can expect in that way other than the physical resurrection of the dead and our bodies physically. So. The question is, what would they be like? And the general consensus over the last 2,000 years of thought from people much smarter than myself is that God might renew our bodies to their peak condition and state. And so some theologians believe that because Jesus died and was resurrected when he was age 30, that, that our early 30s or late 20s might be the time where we experience our peak potential. Um, some others believe in that, that it's this space between when we're finished development, it's like this sliver of time between when we're growing and when we're decaying. <laughs> Right? So we all, we, we all walk through life and we have growth and growth and growth. And then we've got like this two-day window, it seems like, where things are good and then things start to go downhill. So some theologians believe that it's in that space, maybe. Whatever it is and however old we may appear or be, will be, I believe, that that sentiment that God will bring us to a place of our highest capacity, that our bodies will, will live at their fullest potential. 
potentially for eternity. Now we know in heaven um, that there will be time. The Bible is clear about that, that it, eternity is not the absence of time. We'll actually live in time and space. God didn't create time just to destroy it, that we'll live in time and space, but we'll be able to live for eternity because of the provision of God through the tree of life. So the Bible in, in Revelation 22, let's just go there real quick. Revelation 22. So our bodies will, will I, I believe, be in their perfect optimal state. <laughs> Praise Jesus. Without the gym or low-carb diets, the keto diet, the Atkins diet, I've tried them all, the banana and cabbage soup diet, oh, I did that one. That's why I hate bananas today. All right, Revelation 22. The angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. So this is speaking about the New Jerusalem that's coming down. It flowed down the center of the main street, and get this, on each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit. Okay, so this is a time statement that this tree is bearing 12 crops of fruit in a, in a series of perpetual renewal for eternity with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything for the throne of God and the Lamb will be there and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be written on their forehead. So we have this idea that when we get to heaven, somehow we're gonna be like the angels or we'll be like God. No, 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 we'll be us. And we'll rely, we'll need to rely on the supernatural provision that God gives us to sustain life for eternity. There's no confusion in the Bible about whether we become angels when we die or a godlike creature. There's not. We, we don't. God created angels for a very specific purpose, and they're very different than us. So on this new earth, as we're living for eternity with God, we don't have the power and the ability to be self-sustaining like God does. We won't be like God. We won't know everything. Only God does. We won't have all power. Only God does. We'll be finite beings living in the presence of God with an everlasting supply of his strength and energy and power. So let's go right back to the Garden of Eden. What was the tree that Adam and Eve were able to eat from? It was the tree of life. What was the tree they weren't supposed to eat that they did? It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So even from the very first words of the Bible, we see that God has created us to spend eternity with him, and he's the one who supplies the ability to do that. So we believe that our bodies, hopefully, Lord willing, of, well, why would he do anything less? They'll be great. They'll be so great. Um, and we'll have the chance to spend eternity in his presence. Number one, in his presence. But then how else does the Bible talk about what we're gonna do? 
So it's fine if we're physical bodies, but what are we going to do? And, and this leads to a, a second area where the, where the enemy, where Satan lies to us and says, it's going to be so boring. Like, can you imagine sitting in an eternal church service? Lord, help us know, right? Like, let's just be honest. That's not appealing to anyone, really. So what are we going to do for eternity? And I really believe that this is part of unlocking the key to joy and hope in your life and in my life. Because if Satan can get us to believe that things are less than ideal, that they're dreadful and boring, what are the chances we're going to want to tell anybody else about that? It's kind of like, well, I'm getting on this train, but I don't really like where it's going, so you better just stay you know, on the side. But if we have a correct understanding of what we might do, it'll bring us hope. And part of that was found in Isaiah that we just read. And I want to jump to the New Testament. So Isaiah talked about working and building and farming and connecting in communities. And get this, in Revelation 21, verse 24, the nations, okay, that's important, will walk in its light meaning Jesus, and the kings of the earth, my translation says the world, will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there is no night there. And all the nations, get this, will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay, so John is talking about nations and kingdoms and rulers and authority structure that sits outside of the New Jerusalem. He paints this picture of these nations coming to the presence of Jesus to bring him their most valuable treasures. So can we expect for eternity just to be on our knees and faces before God? I don't think that's what he has in mind totally. Of course, we're gonna worship him. But if your idea of worship is so narrow to think that it's just singing songs or it's just prayer, you're missing the point. The point is that everything we love to do, the places we love to see, the majesty of God's creation, it all brings worship to him. And I believe that scripture supports an understanding of what we'll do in heaven to be the things that he's wired us to do on earth. And for eternity, those things that you love to do, the way that he's uniquely created you, you'll have an eternity to express that and to bring God glory and worship through what he's created you to do. And so in these verses, we get this idea too that, that there will be different nations and cultures on this new earth, that God doesn't erase our past and create this analogous a group of people without identity know that, that God receives glory through the nations of the earth, the, the different expressions of his beauty and his majesty being revealed. 
Will there be Canadians on the new earth? I think so. We're part of a cultural identity and as dysfunctional and twisted and broken as our world is because of sin, God is going to restore and renew it. And so the best parts of our culture, the parts that bring God glory and praise will be the parts that we celebrate and we celebrate the uniqueness of how God has made us in perfect unity, without sin, without comparison, without jostling for position. One of the other really interesting things that comes up when you read verses like this, if there are kings and rulers, then there must be some kind of hierarchy or authority structure. For so long, I believed that when we got to heaven, it was all just like it was a flat level playing field. But then when you look at how God has made us in Genesis, and you look all through the Bible, you see that, that God operates in a, in a structure of hierarchy and authority. The problem is that sin has twisted it and made it dysfunctional and corrupt. But I believe that we'll live in cultures and societies that are based on a perfect hierarchy that lives in synergy and harmony together. Not affected by pride and selfishness and, and those things. So that leads to this question. And this is something that I've wrestled with and this is, this is a big topic that we won't fully cover today. But there's this teaching that Jesus presented while he was on earth and the apostles presented many, many times through the New Testament. And that's that we are saved by grace through faith, but that what we do with our life on this earth matters. Jesus said, store up for yourself treasures in heaven, the kinds of things that moth and rust can't destroy. And all through scripture, we're invited through scripture to look forward to and to seek a reward for our faithfulness. So we're only saved by grace through faith. This is not... Um, this is how we get to heaven. But I believe when it comes to the cultures and societies and the cities we'll build and the things we'll do, we'll be living in the reality of what we did here on earth. And that what we do here to store up treasures for ourselves in heaven will have a dramatic impact into what our life will be like for eternity. Now, we're not talking about getting to heaven. We're talking about what happens when we're there. Now, get this, in Luke, I just want to turn there, Luke 19. Jesus is telling a parable here about heaven and what it's going to be like. We're going to start in verse 12. He said, a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Before he left, he called together 10 of his servants and divided among them 10 pounds of silver, saying, invest in this for me while I'm gone. 
But his people hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want him to be our king. He's talking about himself here. After he was crowned king, he returned and called in the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. The first servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made 10 times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. You're good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with the little I entrusted you to. So you will be governor of 10 cities. He's speaking of heaven here as your reward. The next servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You will be governor over five cities. But the third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. You wicked servant, the king roared. Your own words condemn you. If you knew that I'm a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops I didn't plant, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest. Then turning to the others standing nearby, the king ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. But master, they said, he already has 10 pounds. Yes, the king replied, and to those who use well, what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And as for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. So Jesus is painting this picture for us of what happens with what we do with our life. Revelation 22, Jesus is saying this in the first person. Look, I'm coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, first and the last, the beginning and the end. I don't know about you, but growing up, I, I thought that it was unspiritual and almost arrogant and defiant to ever think that God would give me a reward for anything I could do. The Bible's very, very clear that we are all sinners who need the grace of Jesus. And of course, this is the greatest reward we could ever receive is for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. But what happens when we come to this idea of our life now mattering for eternity because you and I will be the same person in eternity? Jesus is clearly saying that there is a correlation between how you and I live now and what we will experience for eternity. But we've bought into this lie, again, I believe from the enemy, that it's unrighteous and, and prideful and arrogant to think that we would ever want to receive a reward for what we do on earth. And I heard it described this way, and it made sense to me this week. And so. I have a, a seven-year-old and a, a four-year-old. And Eli, our seven-year-old, is starting to learn how to do chores around the house. He's starting to take the garbage out and he's starting to clean up around the house. And they're really good at cleaning when they put their mind to it. But what would happen if I said to Eli on a Saturday, Eli, 
here's our chore list for the day. I want you to take the garbage out. I want you to help cut the grass with me and I need you to clean your room and we need to do this and that. And Eli, as a reward for that, at the end of the day, I'm gonna take you to CC Swirls, his favorite ice cream place. Um, I'm gonna take you there and you can load up on frozen yogurt and gummy bears like he likes to do, right? And, and so for Eli, is there anything wrong with him saying, I, I can't wait for that reward. So that's going to inspire me to finish the work that you've asked me to do. So let's flip that around then. What if I give Eli that same list of things to do in the house that day? And Eli says, stop dad, I just want you to stop there. Before we go any further, I have a list of demands myself that I've brought. And Eli goes through and says, I, I need to go to CC Swirls after. I need a minimum of six gummy bears on my yogurt. I also would like to go to McDonald's after that, and on and on and on. What do you think my response would be in that situation? No, that's not gonna happen. And I think God is painting a picture for us that's like that first illustration where he said, look, you don't even know how good it is going to be for you. And these are things that I've, I've created in advance for you to enjoy to do. These are going to be your rewards in heaven. So use your time on earth wisely. Do the things that will have an investment for eternity. Jesus said, if you give a cup of water even to someone who's thirsty, you're doing it like you're giving it to me. Over and over and over through the New Testament, Jesus is imploring people to make their lives count as an investment for eternity. And yet somehow we believe that when this life is over, it's the only life we have and, and somehow God is just gonna erase it and start over. That's not what the Bible teaches us about heaven. And so when the Bible says that you will receive crowns and rewards, what does that mean? Well, we don't know exactly, but I heard it explained this way and, and it made sense to me again. And it's not so much that when God gives us a crown, and a crown is sort of the visual metaphor that, that Jesus used and that's used in the Bible. When he gives us a crown as a reward, it's not that the king takes the crown off and says, what an amazing crown. It's, it's what the crown symbolizes. So if there's going to be nations and governments and cultures, and if there's a possibility for us to exercise leadership, over cities and towns and nations, then, then maybe the crowns that Jesus has for us and in store for us is a leadership assignment to entrust us to lead the people that are within our sphere. And maybe what Jesus is saying by, by inviting us to to seek these rewards and these crowns is not, not that the individual thing is the point, but that we're found trustworthy in heaven to carry his name over people groups and cities and towns and nations, that he would entrust us with authority in his name. 
So the question is, are you and I making our life count? I started thinking about this the last few days. And actually on my drive in this morning, I cried bitterly because my mind went to all of the, the seasons of my life where I squandered what I had, where I, I lived for my own selfish gratification and gain, where I did what was best for me at the expense of those around me, where I lived for the temporary things, where I lived for a quick jolt of adrenaline or a high or whatever it was. And when I look at my life now and I compare it to what God has in store for eternity, it grieves me that I've taken what he's given me, the gifts that he's given me, the things that he's blessed me with, and I've somehow squandered so much of it. I've spent my time consumed by things that don't matter 10 minutes from when I do them, let alone in the next life to come. I've wasted my money. I've wasted my heart and my relationships. I've wasted my time. I've squandered the gifts and talents he's given me. All because I believed this lie that it didn't matter really, at the end of the day, that it didn't matter how I lived. And Jesus' invitation to you and I is number one, to accept his free gift of salvation that we can't earn. But then once we've done that, to do everything we can in this life to make a difference in the lives of other people, to transmit and translate his purposes and his glory and his power and his patience and his kindness and his goodness and his faithfulness to those around us. I believe that Jesus is saying, make no mistake about it. If you're faithful, with the little bit that I've given you today in this life, I'm going to bless you and put you in charge of much. So what are we going to do on the new earth? We're going to live out the purposes and the plans that God has put in our DNA from before we were born. In Genesis 1, Adam and Eve, God created them and gave them dominion to reign and rule over the earth. At the very end of the Bible, comes, God comes back to the very same purpose. And he says that we will reign and rule over the earth with Jesus as our head. So we're not looking forward to an eternity of mind-numbing church service. We're looking forward to an eternity the Bible talks about us eating and drinking and celebrating together. The Bible talks about us building and constructing 
and creating together. And I believe that the capacity to which he will give us the ability to do that in the new heaven and the new earth is linked to how faithful we are with what we have today. The question for you and I is not just what will heaven be like, but how do I live today in light of what heaven will be like? How do my choices today impact what happens for an eternity? I think like never before, we live in a culture of self-indulgence and selfishness. We do everything we can to gain an advantage for ourselves, whether that's in work or family, in our relationships. It seems like this, this endless cycle of grasping and clawing for what we can do that benefits us. And what it is, is a spirit of selfishness. And Jesus is challenging us to live with a spirit of selflessness, to give ourselves away to others around us, to live for the glory and the benefit of God revealing himself through what we do in the community we live in. In Hebrews 12, too, as, as I finish up here, the writer of Hebrews is challenging those people to run the race that God has called them to run. And we've talked about parts of that verse, and you can listen to earlier messages, but... And then it says this, that Jesus, for the joy set before him, was able to endure the cross. And the question is, what is that joy that was set before him? I believe, obviously, because Jesus is God, that he had a perspective of what was to come that overshadowed and vanquished the fear of going through incredible pain and torture. That the joy set before Jesus was triumphing over death and ruling in his rightful place as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That was the joy set before Jesus. So the question is, what is the joy that is set before you? What is that joy that will bring you through the lowest valleys, that will bring you through seasons of pain and struggle? What is that joy that will transform you from selfishness to selflessness? wanting to give more and empower more and bless more and speak life more and love more. What is that joy? It's not floating around like a disembodied spirit in nothingness. It's having the privilege to be called good and faithful by the King who created the heavens and the earth and to be given a chance to rule and reign with him in all of the majesty and splendor of what he's created. 
express your creativity and your passion to bless people like we've never experienced. The joy set before you is that you will come alive in all of your fullness with a perfect body, 26 and a half years old, <laughs> with a perfect body and with all of this amazing increase of capacity, have the pleasure and joy to say, God, you created me for this and I love this. And now I get to do this with you forever. Whatever that is for you, whether it's painting or art or building or teaching or leading or whatever, That's what God has waiting for us. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We genuinely hope that you are inspired and challenged in your faith by what you heard. We'd love to invite you to connect with us online or even partner with us in ministry by going to mp.church forward slash give. See you next week.